Good evening and welcome to our Bible study and we're going to continue in the book of Job and this evening we're going to read from Job chapter 33. So if you have your Bibles with you, we'll start to read at Job 33. But now Job, listen to my words, pay attention to everything I say. I'm about to open my mouth, my words are on the tip of my tongue. My words come from an upright heart, my lips sincerely speak what I know. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me then if you can. Prepare yourself and confront me. I am just like you before God. I too have been taken from clay. No fear of me should alarm you, nor should my hand be heavy upon you. But you have said in my hearing, I heard the very words, I am pure and without sin. I am clean and free from guilt. Yet God has found fault with me. He considers me his enemy. He fastens my feet in shackles. He keeps a close watch on all my paths. But I tell you, in this you are not right. For God is greater than man. Why do you complain to him? That he answers none of man's words? For God does speak. Now one way, now another. Though man might not perceive it, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn them from wrongdoing and keep him from pride, to preserve his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Or a man may be chastened, on a bed of pain, with constant distress in his bones, so that his very being finds flood repulsive, finds food repulsive, and his soul loathe the choicest meal. His flesh wastes away to nothing, and his bones once hidden now stick out. His soul draws near to the pit, and his life to the messengers of death. Yet, if there is an angel on his side as a mediator, one out of a thousand to tell a man what is right for him, to be gracious to him and say, Spare him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom for him. Then his flesh is renewed like a child's. It is restored as in the days of his youth. He prays to God and finds favor with him. He sees God's face and shouts for joy. He is restored by God to his righteous state. Then he comes to men and says, I have sinned and perverted what was right, but I didn't get what I deserved. He redeemed my soul from going down to the pit, and I shall live to enjoy the light. God does all these things to a man twice and even three times to turn back his soul from the pit, that he might, that the light of life may shine on him. Pay attention, Job, and listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me, speak up, for I want you to be cleared. But if not, then listen to me, be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. Shall we pray? 
Our Father, we thank you again for this book of Job. And yes, it is a very difficult and uh, complicated book and we don't have all the answers. But our Father, we do thank you that you can teach us uh, from what we read and things that we can think about, consider and apply to our daily lives. And we look towards you that you guide us in this way. And we do this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, chapter 33 of Job, Elihu speaks to Job. In chapter 32, Elio has introduced himself and he's given us this, his reason for not joining in the debate earlier. But now he can't restrain himself any longer and he is determined to have his say. He makes the request for all present to listen to him as he tells us that he's not impressed with what he's heard from Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar and he's not happy with what Job has been saying about God. You've got to remember that Job is a believer, a believer who has many questions about why God is allowing him to suffer, and in his mind it's for no apparent reason. So he wants God to answer him. Now, Elihu has been listening to what Job has been saying, and he knows that one of Job's desires is that God will speak to him and tell him why he's suffering. So let's listen to what Elio has to say as he continues to speak in chapter 33, where he will address Job directly. So in verse 1 through to 7, he turns to Job and he says this, But now, Job, listen to my words. Pay attention to everything I say. I'm about to open my mouth. My words are on the tip of my tongue. My words come from an upright heart. My lips sincerely speak what I know. So he's saying to Job, he's saying, look, Job, listen to me and watch my mouth. Watch my lips. I'm serious about what I'm saying and what I'm saying I genuinely believe to be true. Then we read on. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. So he's saying, look, Job, I'm human like you. But here is a question. Is Elihu also saying that the words he will speak are words that are breathed into his heart by God? Is he claiming that these words are divine words? And is he claiming that his words, Elihu's words, are guided by the Spirit? He goes on in verse 5 and 6. Answer me then, if you can. Stand up and argue your case before me. I am the same as you in God's sight. I am a piece of clay. So he's, as it were, in a courtroom, and then he, he says to Job, let's face each other on equal terms. Let's have this conversation man to man. And then he says in verse 7, no fear of me should alarm you, nor should my hand be heavy on you. You see, Elihu knows that one of Job's fears is that when God speaks, he fears what God might say. And what Elihu is saying to Job, he's saying, look, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to tell you what God wants you to know. So he goes on in verse 8 through to 11, he's saying, do you realize what you have been saying? And he's going to go on, he's going to remind Job of what he has been saying. He's listening well, Elihu, and he's writing this. He says, But you have said in my hearing, and I heard the very words, 
And this is what he heard Job say. I am pure and I have done no wrong. I am clean and free from sin. Yet God has found fault with me. He considers me his enemy. He fastens my feet in shackles. He keeps close watch on all my paths. So what are you saying? Look, I heard you say that. And you're claiming to be righteous. And you're saying that God is treating you unjustly. And he's doing that by keeping a close eye on you as he continues to look for reasons for him to punish you even more. And then in verse 12 through to 13, he's saying to you, it's wrong of you to say these things about the Lord. So verse 12 to 13, but I tell you, in this you are not right, for God is greater than any mortal. Why do you complain to him that he responds to no one's words? So he's calling Job to task. He's saying, you're wrong, Job, because God is greater than you, and he is a just God. And you are wrong in saying that God does not speak. He's going to tell Job that God does speak. And this is what he says in verse 14. For God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. He speaks, and he speaks in many different ways. But sometimes we fail to see what he is saying. We fail to hear what he is saying. We fail to perceive what he is saying. And he's levelling this accusation at Job. And in verse 15 to 18, he's going to tell Job, this is how God can speak. In verse 15, in a dream, a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings, to turn them from wrongdoing and keep them from pride, to preserve them from the pit their lives from perishing by the sword. You know, we we have many um, examples of God speaking, particularly in the Old Testament, when God speaks by dreams. You know, at the time when Abraham met Abimelech, the king, Abimelech saw Sarah, who was Abraham's wife, and Abraham sort of saw that Abimelech liked Sarah. So Abraham became afraid, and he said, she's my sister. Actually, she was his half-sister, but he's telling a half-lie. He's saying that she's my sister, implying that she's not his wife. Now, God spoke to Abimelech, protecting him from sinning. And we read about that in Genesis 20, verse 3. This is what we read. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now, Abimelech... Um, he was preparing to wed Sarah, but he immediately called off the wedding and then he rebuked Abraham for his act of deception. When we come to the book of Daniel, we have quite a few dreams and dreams being interpreted in the book of Daniel. And listen to this. God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream that troubled him. Now, by Nebuchadnezzar having that dream, it allowed Daniel to tell Nebuchadnezzar the king that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom 
that will never be destroyed, that will last forever. And in a similar way, God speaks through our consciences to warn us of potential sin or to remind us of the greater purpose that God has for us. Sometimes we don't listen. Other times we choose to ignore what our conscience is saying. So God does speak. Then he goes on in verse 19 through to 22, and he's saying God can speak through other things. He can speak through suffering. And this is the subject of Job here. Job is suffering. And so he's saying, look, God speaks. He can speak via dreams. He can speak by suffering. So verse 19. Or someone may be chastened on a bed of pain with constant distress in their bones so that their body founds food repulsive and their soul loads and the choicest meal their flesh wastes away to nothing and their bones are hid, that were hidden now stick out they draw near to the pit and their life to the messenger of death do those words remind you of something this sounds very much like Elihu is describing Job's present condition let's just stop for a moment and think about that God speaks through suffering. Listen to what Paul has to say to us about this kind of suffering. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is what we read in verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. So that's what Paul is telling us. He's, he's in pain. He's got this problem. I'm not sure what it is, but he describes it as a thorn in his flesh. And then, as we read on in Corinthians 12, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So in that passage, the Lord could say to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So he didn't take away whatever it was that Paul was suffering from. He continued to suffer. But Paul could say, and he says this to us, I delight in weaknesses. Because in those weaknesses, you see, he finds God's strength. So let's go on in our passage for this evening and look at verse 23, 2 to 28. And this is based on what Elio has, Elihu has heard what Job has said. And Job has spoken about the need for a mediator. And Elias, Elihu has picked up on this. So he's going to speak about it now. So he says this, Yet if there is an angel at their side, a messenger, one out of a thousand, sent to tell them how to be upright, and he is gracious to that person and says to God, Spare them from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom for them. Let their flesh be renewed like a child. Let them be restored as in the days of their youth then that person can pray to God and find favour with him. 
they will see God's face and shout for joy. He will restore them to full well-being. And they will go to others and say, I have sinned, and I have perverted what is right, but I didn't get what I deserved. So in other words, this is a confession of being wrong and being a a, a sinner who is perverting what is right. And then that little bit at the end, I didn't get what I deserved. In other words, he's saying, I should have been punished more than my sin deserved, but God is gracious. And then he goes on, Eliud, and he says, God has delivered, he goes on, and then the person who has experienced this forgiveness can say, God has delivered me from going down to the pit, and I shall live to enjoy the light of life. Now, you know, there's some truth, there's a lot of truth in these words, and eventually Job will be, have his way of life restored. But he's not being punished because he's a sinner. And we know that, but Job doesn't. But Elihu here is saying, if there's an advocate, a mediator, who will speak up for the accused in court, one who will find the ransom that must be paid to secure acquittal, then by God's grace, redemption is possible. You know, this is a, a summary of salvation. When the penitent sinner comes in the power of what Jesus did when he died. Although Elihu has not said that Job is suffering because of previous confessed sin, as the others have said, but he's suggesting that he agrees with Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far. He agrees that Job is a sinner in need of salvation, and that Job's suffering is now increasing because Job is claiming to be righteous and that God is unjust. And that because of this, his suffering, Job is continuing to sin by blaming God. You know, God does speak in order for the sinner to be saved. And Elihu wants Job to say to God, I have sinned and I have perverted what is right. Now, we know, and we know that God knows, that Job hasn't done this. But if he was to say that, that would mean that he would be admitting some kind of guilt that has caused him to suffer. And that would be proving Elipas, Bildad, Zophar and Elihu correct in their conclusion. Job, because of the confusion caused by his suffering, he's not always saying the right thing. And we know that if we go back and look at the things that Job has said. But he's not blaming God. What he's doing, he's struggling to find answers. He's questioning why is God allowing these things to happen to him. Now the very fact that he's doing this means that he's not given up on God. He's not rejected God, as Satan said he would. Despite all the pressure that's being put on him by Satan and also by his friends. But Job is still trusting that God has a reason. Remember what he said in chapter 1. And he said this 
This is in verse 21 of chapter 1. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. This is what Job is holding on to. His faith is in the Lord. And through this pain and suffering, although he's complaining, although he's, he's looking for answers and these answers don't seem to be coming, he's still staying faithful. Eliu continues in verse 29 to 33. He's telling him this is what God does. God, God does all these things to a person twice, even three times, to turn them back from the pit that the light of life might shine on them. See, he's still trying to say to Job, you know, you're suffering because of your sin, so you need to repent. And then goes on, pay attention, Job, and listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak up, for I want to vindicate you. Mm, that's, hold on to that phrase. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak up, for I want to vindicate you. But if not... Then listen to me, be silent, and I will teach you wisdom. There's some pride coming out of this man, Eliu, as he says these things. Does Eliu see himself as a, a mediator? Does he see himself as the mediator who's going to vindicate Job? We know that Eliu is angry with Job. He's angry because he's convinced that Job is suffering as a result of his sin. He's annoyed by what Job is saying. He's concluded that Job is claiming to be sinless and that God is unjust. And by doing this, Elio is saying he's continuing. He's continuing to turn away from God. He's continuing to sin. In other words, he's given up on God and he's gone his own sinful way. And that's why he's continuing to suffer. But Job has never claimed to be sinless. He also he's previously told us that he is a sinner, but he knows that he's right with God. And his frustration has caused him, by not knowing why God is allowing this to happen to him, he's then saying things that maybe aren't quite right, but there aren't things that are telling us that he's denying God. He's still hanging on. You know, Elio has spoken to Job. It's apparent that he has other listeners who are around listening to what's going on. Job's other three friends are there. There would be other people who have been passing and stopping and listening. and So this crowd is there. We, we mentioned that last week. So, what he's going to do next is going to turn and speak to them. Now, there's a question for us to take away with us this evening. Is Elio, Elio really concerned about Job? Or is he full of his own importance? Well, we begin to see something of that in what he has to say. And we'll look at that next week. But in the meantime, again, read this passage through. Think about what we've said about it. And let's just take lessons from 
what is happening. Sometimes, you know, we can speak. And really, when we're supposed to be speaking to someone to help them, we're just really speaking to ourselves and showing them how clever we are or how wise we are. Let's just pray. Our Father, we do come to you to seek your guidance. And our Father, yes, we do all have our faults and we do very often say or do the wrong thing. And our Father, help us to learn from those times. Help us to continue to trust in you. Let us have something of the faith that Job has, particularly in those of us who might be going through difficult times at the moment. Teach us to lean upon you. And our Father, we just bring these things before you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.